you know, I wanted to start off uh, by asking kind of a question. Uh, is anyone here have a hard time ever saying goodbye to someone? And I, I mean like in a goodbye, like I'll see you in a long time or I'll see you in a while or having a farewell. I know for me that is hard to do actually. Um, sometimes when you're like on vacation and you get to see family and, you know, it's kind of nice. And uh, sometimes as a pastor, I've been in, had to say goodbye to people that I've pastored and ministered to. Uh, that's been kind of hard uh, to, uh, to go through sometimes. And, you know, I'm sure as I grow in age, it's going to happen more uh, and more so that saying goodbye is going to be more and more difficult. And you'd find that in those goodbyes, that sometimes the words that you share with a person, they're very, very important because, of course, they're the last words. They might be the last words that they hear from you uh, for a while. Uh, a lot of times, those words of wisdom sometimes are something that they've been wanting to share with you because it's important, because it might be the last thing that they recall or remember of you. Goodbyes, they can be tough. Those last words sometimes, almost like a will, are like last wishes. The significance of those last words is high, and they can hold a lot of weight. Well, again, we're finally closing in on our Jesus series, and for the past 13 weeks, we've followed Jesus from his youth and early life into baptism, into the desert, into his teachings and miracles. We've followed him in his ministry until death, and then his resurrection, and then last week we even spent some time uh, following his disciples in the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. I think that in this series there's been kind of a driving and major theme that we've carried with us throughout the series, which this goal has been to humanize Jesus, to humanize him, to a point where we can understand him, hopefully a little more personally. We've talked about how as Christians, a lot of times, we do a pretty good job of understanding Jesus' divinity. He is God's son, and we can understand that. But sometimes, just being God's son or being a part of that trinity makes that unapproachable, hard to grasp and hard to connect to. And so we've had this goal of humanizing him, understanding the human part of Jesus, hopefully to a point where, again, we can understand him more personally as an actual man, as a man who actually walked in our shoes, who understands our human conditions, who understands the temptation that surrounds us, who understands the temptation in us to be selfish. He understands that. And because he was human, because of that human side, it makes God approachable. My hope has been throughout this series that the individual understanding of Jesus in us each will have grown during this time. That we each have a better grasp of him as a man, as a friend, as well as a king, a God, and our savior. Now I hope that Jesus has become someone that you've found more love for. You know, obviously this is a deep fondness a deep fondness that Jesus' followers had for him after following him and listening to him and carrying out his orders for years. And now, now, today, after 40 days of Jesus appearing here and there after his resurrection, just coming and going, 
he finally gathers his disciples. He gathers his 11 closest. He gathers them to say goodbye. So as you can imagine, Jesus chose his final goodbye words to his followers, to his close apostles, to the men who've been through thick and thin with him. He chooses these words very carefully. Oh, here we go. Jesus chose his last words to his disciples to be this, to be the great commission as we know it. He tells his apostles to tell and share the good news, to share his victories with others so that they may also take part in his victories. If you're willing to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, that's where we'll begin uh, reading, and we're going to kind of break it down a few verses uh, at a time because these words are so special, uh, his farewell goodbye words to his apostles. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 uh, through 18 here. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Again, this is 40 days after the resurrection, and so he's been popping up here and there. So finally they gather uh, to go to the mountain where Jesus led them to. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is part of that wrap-up in Matthew, um, because there's some other parts that talk about the various actions uh, in the various gospels about those last 40 days. And Matthew kind of wraps it up a little bit quickly. And so the doubt that they're talking about here in Matthew has more to do with the doubt that they had about his resurrection soon after that, earlier in the 40 days. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is an interesting matter, this line that Jesus shares with his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's kind of a big statement for anyone to make. Now, if you're with me, it makes sense that Jesus is capable, the only one capable of saying that. But it does bring up an odd question, because as far as we understand God and Jesus, we thought there's this equality. We thought there's this trinity. And so it's odd for Jesus to say, all authority has been given to me. Who is able to give it to Jesus other than God? And so it's been given to him. Does that make God lesser than Jesus if all authority has been given to him? And so I thought as a really interesting statement for Jesus to say, it's mine now. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Nothing happens without my say. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, how does this work in God's kingdom? How does this work? Because of the upside-down nature, because of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, where the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? We know this. Jesus, who made himself on the cross and in death, he made himself the very very, very last, the very, very, very last. And because of that, because the way that the kingdom works, because he made himself so very last, he now is the very, very, very first. Because he submitted himself so low in the kingdom of God, you know what that means? 
it means that you are the exalted one. You are the high one. Because no one could get lower than Christ means that no one else could go higher than Christ. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite passages in Scripture is out of Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 6 through 11 in this chapter. And it talks about this nature, how it works between God the Father and Jesus the Son, and why this authority is being given to Jesus. It says this. This is about Christ, who, being in very nature God, he himself did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, right? Being made very, 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 very last. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, there's no lower to go. All right, remember, he starts out in heaven with his father, who didn't use equality, equality as an excuse. Instead, even from that very high place, he came very, very, very low for our sakes. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, therefore, God, because of how low God was, therefore, God exalted him. Exaltation is a position of posture, right? He then raised Jesus up because of how low he was. He raised Jesus up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He made himself so very last, and in God's kingdom, that means you're made so very first. He is an exalted one. So back to Matthew 28, Jesus gets to say this in verse 19 through 20. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, because I am the one in charge, because nothing happens unless I say so, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus tells his followers to spread, to go everywhere, to tell everybody. He tells them to spread and to go and disciple, which means, what does this mean? What does it mean to disciple others? It means to help people transform their character as is to the likeness of Jesus, to his character, to change Reggie's lowly, wretched self more and more so into the image of Christ. That is the process of discipleship that we are being called by Jesus to partake in, not only for ourselves, but also to go, to go out and to spread. We are called to this mission. Jesus tells us to spread. He wants us each to go he wants us to baptize, to follow suit in Jesus. Remember, 10 weeks ago, 
when we talked about how Jesus, even in his own perfection, even though he was perfect and had no sins to wash away, even in his perfection, because he is obedient to the Father, because he is obedient, he still subjected himself to baptism. And so we, in our discipleship, to make our character into the likeness of Jesus, must follow him in the same way that he was baptized. And we should call the people around us who are willingly, are, who are willingly calling Jesus their savior and Jesus their king to follow him in baptism also. Jesus asks us, go. Go to all the nations to baptize, to disciple, to teach. However... However, this, this, for many of us, it proves to be a very big challenge, doesn't it? Inside these walls, we can get real fired up, and we can get really, really excited about Jesus, and we can proclaim him all day long. But when it comes to going home, and going back to the break room, going back to mowing your lawn and hoping you don't bug your neighbor, it gets really, really hard, and it gets very, very tricky. Many of us have a really hard time carrying this mission out because we are too shy. We may be too scared to expose ourselves as believers. We don't want to upset the balance at work or with our neighbors by crossing into taboo subjects. I understand this. I know that they're taboo. You can't just bring it up at work. I mean, who wants to be that guy, right? Who wants to be that guy who makes things too heavy? Who wants to be known as the Bible thumper? You know, who wants to become someone to be ignored because they don't want to get cornered by you having a conversation about Jesus or getting invited to your church thing? Nobody wants to be that guy. However, to ignore this direct command, to ignore this direct command out of Matthew chapter 28 from the duly appointed authority in Jesus. This is, this is not something we can opt out of. This isn't something we can choose to ignore. This command, his final words, which again carry weight simply because they are his imparting words. These are the last words he speaks to his apostles before he departs. We can't ignore this. These words, this mission, these directions set forth before his apostles and for us, sorry to say guys, this is mandatory. These are mandatory words. In response to this command, really, there's only two scenarios. Either one, you believe who he is, all right? There's only two, two ways to respond to this great commission. One, you believe who he is and you obey this command, okay? Either you believe who he is and you obey this command, or two, you do not obey this command, thereby denouncing your belief in Jesus' authority. You do not obey this command, thereby denouncing your belief in Jesus' authority. I know, I know that sounds really harsh because I don't think anyone here wants to do that, right? Nobody here wants to go, eh, I can take it or leave it, so I'm just gonna go ahead and leave it. I don't, maybe he's not really the guy. 
I don't think anybody wants to do that. I know it sounds harsh, but in reality, when it comes to this commission, when it comes to Jesus' imparting words, this is a do or do not. This is a do or do not. And what you are saying by not doing it, when you don't participate, when you don't engage, when you don't follow through with these missions, what you're saying through your actions may be something you don't want to be saying. You know, at home, at home with the kids, with family, you know, there are times when I'll ask the kids to either pick up their room uh, or do some chores. And of course, there are so many times, <laughs> so many times that these requests, they go unfulfilled, let's say. Now, this can be aggravating because when you check in later, you'll see them either playing or more often than not fighting <laughs> uh, or at least distracted. Now, I don't have teenagers yet. I don't have teenagers. The day is coming when they'll probably get to the point where, yes, maybe they flippantly ignore my requests. Maybe rebellion will find its way. I get it. But even now, even now, their distraction, their inability to follow through, not purposefully, but unintentionally, their inability to follow through, it's still disappointing, right? If you ask them to go and do something and they just go up and ignore and don't do, whether on purpose or non purpose, it's still disappointing. It may not be a rebellious reason that they are disobeying, which I'm thankful for. I'm still thankful for. However, however innocent the reason may be, however innocent the reason may be, the job's not getting done. And they still aren't obeying my authority. They obey their own when they try to make excuses. I can't. It's too hard. Lucy distracted me. These are, little, these are excuses that I'm hearing as little ones. And as a father, I know that they are capable. You see, as a father, knowing your children, knowing what they're able to do, I know that they're uh, capable of overcoming these obstacles of distractions, uh, of it being too hard. I know that they're capable of doing it. I wouldn't have asked them if I didn't think that they were capable of doing it in the first place, right? You wouldn't ask a little, little one, a one-year-old to clean his room. That wouldn't make any sense. But you might ask a five-year-old because you know his capabilities. You've seen him in action. You know what he's able to do. I wouldn't have asked. I wouldn't have asked if I didn't think that they were capable of doing it. And so the kids lean on their own understanding. They lean on their own self-made limitations. They're saying, I'm too distracted. They're saying they can't do it. They're giving in to those things which keeps them from the mission, which keeps them from doing what I ask, which keeps them from fulfilling my request born out of my authority. We do the same. We do exactly the same to our Father when we come up with excuses not to testify, not to share, not to witness to others and to fulfill our commissions. But Lord, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Lord, I can't do that at work. That's not allowed. Lord, I don't want to bug, I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring that, that gospel noise to my neighbor's yard. I don't want him to think I'm that guy. Okay, but that's on you. That's your excuse. Because God wouldn't have asked us 
He wouldn't have given us this commission if he didn't think we could do it. When we don't share, when we don't share, when we don't commit ourselves to this mission, it means that we, it means not, uh, it means that we're not believing in the transformative and saving powers that Jesus brings. When we don't share, when we keep it to ourselves, it means that we're not believing in those transformative, in those saving powers. We're too scared maybe to share them. You know, one of my favorite stories about evangelism, sharing faith, actually comes from an atheist. Uh, maybe you'll know where I'm going. One of my favorite, you know the magician Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, those, those two guys? Uh, there's these magicians who have an act in Vegas. They've uh, really been a face of Vegas magic for uh, so many years now. Uh, and Penn is infamously a, a, a strong advocate for atheism, just really anti-religious anything. And he's very out loud and very outspoken about it. And one time, for some reason, he made a confession to a little video camera and put it on YouTube, and to me has sparked such motivation for wanting to evangelize, even though he's an atheist. He talks about a man who came up to him after a show, even though he knows that he is an infamous atheist, and the man still tried to share his faith with Penn, to, to, to no end, because Penn didn't, wasn't transformed, he didn't go to church, he didn't get baptized, However, Penn did share this confession on this video talking about how he appreciated that man. He says, you know what's amazing is that guy, even though he knows he might not get anywhere with me, that that guy tried. That's kind of impressive to Penn. He said, man, I, I could have shut that guy down so hard, but I really appreciate that he tried because that must mean he takes his faith pretty stinking seriously. Because he knew that even though he was going to get just shut down, he still tried. In fact, Penn goes on, he says, how much do you have to hate a guy to not try and share your saving grace knowledge with them? The euphemism that tell, uh, Penn uses is like, if you saw me standing in the middle of the road and you saw a truck coming and bearing down on me, and you tried yelling at me and you tried getting my attention, how much do you hate me that you wouldn't come out and try and tackle or push me out of the way? That you wouldn't save me from that? Because us as Christians, we do believe that's the case. People who don't have Christ in their lives at the end of this life, I'm not sure they're gonna get to meet their maker the way that I and you look forward to. A truck is barreling down on these people. And to not share because we're too scared, because we're too afraid, because we're too shy. That's not jumping out in the street, tackling someone and saving them from the death, capital D, eternal death, that is coming down and barreling on them. From an atheist, he shared, an atheist shared that. I hope that can motivate you to step out of what can be difficult. If we are going to participate in the final command given from Jesus to his disciples, which extends to us as his followers, we are going to have to overcome a few things. First, we are going to overcome the shyness. We're going to have to overcome the fear. We're going to have to overcome the potential rejection. We're going to have to overcome our desperate self-preservation. 
right? Because I don't want to look silly. I don't want to be that guy at work. We're going to have to get rid of that. We're going to have to identify who is next. Who in your life are you praying for? Who in your life are you chasing down on? Who in your life is that guy standing in the middle of the road with the truck bearing down on him? Who is that for you? Is that a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it an in-law? Is it someone in your life? Because there are people in your life. I know this. We're a small enough church. I can name them each in your lives. So I know that there is someone next in your life. We're going to have to display love and genuine care for these people. We're going to have to share our love, our genuine care for these people, revealing Jesus in us to them. And lastly, we're going to have to be ready to testify about our belief in Jesus. You have to have your story on deck. You have to be ready to speak to the hope that you profess in, in Jesus Christ. You have to be ready. These build on one another. Overcome the shyness. Identify who's next. Display love and genuine care for the people in your life. And finally, be ready. Be ready to testify about our belief in Jesus. You know, because of the importance of, the, of words in Jesus' goodbye, you know, our leadership, Life Fellowship Church's leadership, has been working, actually, on slimming down our own mission statement. You know, this statement that, that's here, a community of Christ followers dedicated to displaying God's love so that God would draw others to himself through that fellowship. We've actually been working on trying to slim that down because we want this thing to be a bite-sized, memorable statement that's in your minds, that kind of drives your own daily going and discipling. And so we want it to be something that's easy to remember, easy to memorize. And so we put this together, uh, enjoying and sharing God's love to draw others to his fellowship. We really just took it and we tried to shrink it down while maintaining its original integrity. All right? Maintaining its original integrity while making it understandable, easy to remember. Our goal here is to enjoy and share in God's love to draw others to his fellowship. Our mission, Life Fellowship's mission, is to be outward focused, to be a part of the great commission of going, making disciples, both inside, yes, inside the church. We're here discipling one another in small group and in prayer and in accountability, but also discipling the people around us with whom we have built relationship, with people that we potentially have influence over. This is going to be hard. I admit it. I know that it is hard. Going to those people who maybe think less of Christianity, who potentially might think less of you, I know this. I've been in those scenarios also where I've been maybe a little bit too scared to reveal my faith. I've, I've been there, but there's something I really enjoy in Jesus' last, very final combination of words in Matthew 28, this very last statement that Jesus shares. He says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, he puts us in a precarious position of revealing ourselves to other people. That's scary. But Jesus leaves on this high note when his disciples, who are probably desperate to see Jesus float back down 
to stay with us, to say, no, Lord, don't go yet. We need you. We're just getting started. Acts is just starting. <laughs> There's so much early church to begin. Why would you leave now? Of course, they want to desperately cling to him. Of course, they're afraid to go out and carry out this mission, sure. But Jesus knows this, and he says this last thing with you. And surely, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And with that, in the very first chapter of Acts, we read that Jesus literally ascends through the clouds until he's out of view. But it doesn't mean that they or us, we, we are not alone. Surely he is with us. He's in our corner. And if you've got him in your corner, working with you, working through you, we do not have to fear what comes with carrying that mission out. Let me offer a word of prayer. A dear Father, it has been amazing to be able to work through the Gospels the way that we have, studying your son Jesus uh, in such a way that has revealed not only his kingly divinity, but also his humble humanity. To see his servitude, to learn through his gracious words uh, and his sharp rebukes. And I pray, Father, that we each would continue in our own personal discipleship uh, the melding of our character into your son Jesus Christ's character. Um, I pray, Father, as we look at these words, this great commission, that we would not shy away from this challenge, that we wouldn't be scared off. Instead, Father, that we would be proud of your son's work, that we would be proud of his savior work, his life-saving, amazing grace, blood-shedding work. I pray, God, that we would lift that up like a banner, that we would carry it out in pride over our savior, the one and only thing that we as Christians can boast about. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us each with courage so that we could go out. I pray, Father, that that Spirit would fill us each with focus to be able to see who around us needs that spiritual love and that genuine care that your son Jesus showed us in his all too short a time here on earth, that your spirit would be in us as we ready ourselves to testify about the miraculous work of your son Jesus. I'm so thankful, God, for him, his character, and that we aren't alone, that you're with us still. I pray these things in your heavenly son's name. Amen.